Cradio.org.au I would like to talk to you at length. I would like to listen to you and know what you think about yourselves and the world. But the time I have been given is so short. You who feel the need for healing, the need for love, the need for a friend, for Christ. Perhaps I love you more. Living the Legacy, an exploration of the charisms of Blessed John Paul II with Sister Bernadette Pike. Welcome to Cradio. This is Sister Bernadette Pike speaking. I'm a John Paul II sister from Perth in a new community called the John Paul II Sisters, or the broader name is the Missionaries of the Gospel. And I'm excited to be with you in this series of talks, radio talks, on the spirit of John Paul II. We're up to the eighth talk in the series at the moment, and we're looking now at the practical expressions or characteristics, features of our late Pope John Paul II's charism, that is his way of being in the world. So today we turn our attention to learning how to listen, to actively listen to people's stories better both to the person speaking to us, but also to the Holy Spirit who is, is always communicating with us. And so the first point is learning compassion, is learning in order to be able to listen to someone, even if I can be attentive to them, I need to be able to learn to suffer with them. Perhaps you can relate to this, but often you're listening to someone and Things are going really well until they start sharing about very deep and personal things or it gets very, very painful and you don't have a solution. So you feel like you're helpless and there's nothing you can really do. How difficult it is for us to really learn to suffer with someone, which is what the the word compassion comes from, the word compatio, which means to suffer with, to learn to be present with that person, not to solve their problem, but just to be with them in that moment to support them as they go through it. This is referred to in John Paul II's book, Sources of Renewal, as the attitude of identity and solidarity that we need to develop within us. It can also be likened to, in space, Selby Pope Benedict talks about the needs to learn to allow your sorrows, the other person's sorrows and joys to become our own. So, for John Paul II, this meant really being in tune with what was going on. And he expressed that it was easier for him to be in tune with people who were suffering because of what he himself had been through. And this is really a, it's a pivotal thing for us all. We can only be with someone else in their suffering to the extent that we've already gone through our own. If I'm constantly in denial of any kind of vulnerability, difficulty, if I suppress things when they get too difficult or I find an easy way out, as soon as I'm with someone else, I'm going to behave in the same way with them. I'm going to be quickly trying to find a solution or find someone else that's going to be able to help them. I'm not really going to be able to sit and be present with them. So it's important for us to first learn this compassion 
to, to be compassionate even with our own sufferings and our own sorrows first. It is something that we can learn. Sometimes it feels like we just don't have the capacity to go there. It feels like it's like we're almost walking up to the precipice of a big fall off a cliff or something and we're almost about to fall over. Well, what's going to happen if I just stay here? If I sit with this person and they're suffering and they're crying and what if they just completely fall apart? You know, how how are we going to recover from that? <laughs> so we need to actually go there ourselves to allow ourselves to, in a way, to be caught by Christ, to be held by Christ in that moment in order to trust with other people that they're going to be able to get through it. So I can say to someone, okay, this, or I can say to myself, this feels like everything's falling apart for this person, that there is no hope. But I know that no matter how bad things get, that the Lord is definitely still there and there is hope because he gets you through it. There is a resurrection after the death. So when I've experienced that personally, I I can take that conviction into the relationship and without necessarily even saying it, I can I can have that faith in Christ's resurrection with that person, so continuing to support them and help them through it so that they can learn that from their experience as well. It's interesting to learn that it wasn't always easy for John Paul II to be with sick people. When we watch DVDs, we see him visiting hospitals, help, helping the people with Mother Teresa and lovingly touching them. It looks so natural, looks like he doesn't have any problems. And we feel, well, anyway, I feel like I'm a long way from being able to relate to people in their suffering in the way that he did. But he says, I found it really interesting to read a, a passage where he wrote, I can tell you that as an adolescent, I was above all intimidated by human suffering. This is interesting coming from a Pope who was such a witness of suffering to the whole world in the end of his life. Sorry, I just interrupted. Okay, keep going. There was a time when I was afraid to approach those who were ill. I felt a sort of remorse when confronted with this suffering that I had been spared. In addition, I felt embarrassed. I thought that all I could do to the sick was like a bounce check. The pastoral ministry, by leading me more and more often to meet the sick, has enabled me to emerge from this period of timidity. I must add at this point, that I have emerged from it mainly because the sick themselves have helped me to do so. I needed a lot of courage to stand before a sick person and enter, so to speak, into his physical and spiritual pain, not to betray discomfort and to show at least a little loving compassion. Only later did I begin to grasp the profound meaning of the mystery of human suffering. In the weakness of the sick, I saw emerging ever more clearly a new strength, the strength of mercy. And this is taken from, that passage I just read is taken from page 75 of Rise, Let Us Be On Our Way, which is the book the Holy Father wrote to the bishops. See, it's interesting here, we, we learn through sitting through suffering with other people, with ourselves, we learn the mercy of God. Because if we only know God's mercy as a concept or as a vague idea, it isn't effectual in our lives. But when we confront the reality of our own inadequacy and our weakness, our frailty, and we can stay in that place in prayer with the Lord, 
what follows from that, if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and don't get deterred by the winds that are blowing around and sink like St. Peter did when the wind started blowing, if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ at that point, we begin to realize, okay, this is the reality of who I am. This is the reality of what's going on in my life. And God still loves me. God still carries me through all of this. So we have, a, again, we have a concrete experience of God's mercy, his patience, and that helps us to bring that message of mercy and love to other people when we're with them as well. Okay, so we're trying to be present with someone in a very difficult moment. What's the first thing normally, we've already mentioned it, that comes up within us when we're with that person? Solutions. Come on, we've got to be able to fix this person's problem. We've got to be able to find some kind of resolution that will stop the pain. Now, part of the one of the features of this way of being with people for John Paul II is to avoid jumping to con- conclusions or offering solutions, to effectively leave our agenda at the door. John Paul II was so aware that our need is not for solutions, it's for a saviour. So he didn't try to fix people. How could he be prescriptive in responding to their problems? Each person he knew was a mystery and only Christ knows the heart of man. So when he related to other people, Blessed John Paul II didn't go in with a personal agenda. He did not consider that he should try to give the person whom he was helping his solutions to their problems. Instead, he gave himself. He understood that only Christ knows the heart of man. Only he can satisfy man. And that if he offered himself to God, this self-abandonment to God we were talking about before, that this could take place at some level within the relationship. So instead of being not all there, we really are all there, not just in our personal faculties, but our Lord can be present there too. So it's not just all of us that's there, but it's actually all of those that are important to be there for that person in their problems are there. So it's me and, of course, their saviour. And, and our saviour chooses to work through us to help that person. We're so often preoccupied with how the other person or even God is perceiving our reactions to that person's problems or how we can find a solution to the problems or what else needs to be done, what we're going to be doing next even after we speak to this person that we have trouble just simply sitting and listening to them in their pain. It can be really helpful just to say to ourselves at the time when we're feeling uncomfortable, take a few deep breaths, to make, even if it's silent and it's awkward, you just focus on your breaths and to say a little prayer at that point and, and to remind yourself, we're not the saviour, we're just the instrument. I can't necessarily provide you with answers, but I can give you my time my attention and my love. If we do indiscriminately offer advice to people, we may be missing entirely what Christ is trying to communicate to both of us, not to mention denying the other person the lesson of learning to place their trust in God, of growing in faith, of realizing their own weakness. We fail to acknowledge the other person's capacity for freedom and their ability to choose good. We do not really trust in God or in man. It's kind of a harsh reality to to face and to accept. We need to respect the other person's freedom and help them to exercise it. 
So the Holy Father says in the impersonal community, the awareness that I am the efficient cause of all my individual actions is a necessary psychological basis for the ethical experience that I am responsible for those actions. So basically what he's saying here is I need to actually experience within myself that I do have the capacity to exercise free will in order to be responsible for my actions. So, so many of us nowadays and so many of the people in our environment are guided by their emotions. And when a strong emotion comes in, it takes over and influences our behavior where we, we feel like we're helpless and don't have any control over that particular emotion, especially emotions like anger or resentment. <clears throat> but, but what the Holy Father is saying here is that if w- what each person needs to learn is that there is this um, causal efficiency, there is this capacity within man by the grace of God to overcome all these um, tensions that are within himself, all the struggles, to be able to transcend those and to integrate everything within him that's all, it feels like a mess, it feels like it's out of control, that he has the capacity to orient that, to order that towards what is good and true. So we we need the other person to come to an experience of that, to realize that if I give them solutions, I cut off that process. It's like I'm enabling them and confirming, yes, you're out of control, you can't do anything, let me do it for you. Or they need to actually learn to walk themselves. It's the hardest thing, I I think, from observation. It seems to be the hardest lesson parents need to learn to watch my child make a mistake, to know that they're going to make the mistake, to know what it's going to do to them and to allow them the freedom to choose to do that so that they learn from that. Now, that doesn't mean if they're going to go drink a cup of poison, obviously, that I let them drink the poison. I'm going to take the poison off them. But I think you get what I'm, where I'm coming from. There are so many other moments where the child really needs to be able to exercise their free will, to be able to learn to make decisions between what is um, right and wrong and to learn both that they have the capacity for that and to learn the consequences of their action. And it's only then the Holy Father is saying that they start to take responsibility for their actions. If I'm a parent who always does everything for my child, that child will learn to be dependent on me. They don't learn responsibility. So it's, this, is, um, this is why it is so important for us to learn not to, to jump to conclusions. That person needs to be able to exercise their free will and to do so, to learn to do so in a free way. If they're always following me or their feelings, their will is compromised. They're not, they're not actually free. So we need to, um, by God's grace, learn to be more free, to be able to choose the good and the true. So I really encourage you to spend the next week or the next period of time before you listen to the next talk to reflect upon how you go with not providing solutions to people's problems. How good are you at resisting and continuing to listen and to ask the Lord to take over the process rather than... And and I'm not saying that we never give solution to people. We'll get to that later. We do... We need to speak the truth sometimes. But the first movement when we're with someone who's sharing with us is to really learn to take on their problems with ourselves, to really learn to listen to all that's going on within that person 
So we, we're listening for the questions. And of course, the, the data of their consciousness, but even the questions that arise from that. And of course, when the questions come, that's even more difficult. And we really want it. Then when they start saying, oh, what do I do? That's when we really want to say, oh, okay, now that you've got to this point, you know, this is what you have to actually do. But even more so at that point, that's when we need to say, we need to start asking them questions. Well, what do you think? What do you, people need to be able to learn to discover the truth within their own experiences insofar as is possible. We, if we do it ourselves, they become dependent upon us. So it is, it is really, really important to be able to, to listen and to, but to, to actively listen to, to take it in, but to really be able to hold back really and to listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this next section is um, looking at the believing in the capacity of the other person to integrate and transcend what's within them and be able to choose the good and the true. So in this particular situation where a situation where not just listening to what's going on within that person, but even um, being attentive to everything else that they're saying, everything else that's going on as well. So I can see within that person, even in the worst kind of situation, I can see glimmers of hope. When I listen to the person, I can see, for example, John Paul II says that young people are criticized. Um, people put down young people because they're critical. But he says you have to look beyond the criticism to see the idealism underneath for that person. So someone who's practicing this charism isn't just um, looking for what's being said. They're watching the body language of the person. They're looking for what else is being said underneath the, the words that are actually being given to them. And one of the things that we can see when we do this, when we start to look for glimmers of hope, is that we find opportunities to be able to affirm that person's um, ability to recognize what's going on and to be able to work with God to work through things. So um, that sounded kind of a bit confusing as I was saying it, but most often we, especially if we don't know someone very well, it's difficult to believe that um, if they're going through a hard time, that they're actually going to be able to get through it. But the more we practice this, the more we see other people flourishing when they do work through it themselves. We can see how effective it is for them and how how much God has endowed the human person with to work through work through their problems. It's it's really a marvel to watch the Lord doing that through someone. It's extraordinary, really. So this section that we're talking about now, um, affirming this capacity in the person, is the equivalent of what John Paul II in Sources of Renewal called the attitude of human identity and Christian responsibility. And it's also mentioned in Fides et Ratio at 102. Bless John Paul II says, Why do you so often meet them, young people? The questions posed to me. My answer is very simple. I have confidence in young people. I see in them the future of the world, the future of the church. I believe that the youth of today want to build a world of justice, truth and love. And with God's help, they can do so. What he's doing here is he's affirming the transcendental nature of young people. So in a world where so many people had given up on them, he was saying to them, you have this capacity to cooperate with God's grace and to overcome all the impulses within you, all the influences in the world 
to make the world a better place. You have that capacity and I believe in you to do it and I'm supporting you, I'm right behind you. And the young people naturally responded to this. And when we're with people, whether it's our children, people at work, if we have this attitude of confidence in that other person's capacity, if they if they are cooperating with God's grace, then it, it instills with them a confidence to go forward. It, it, it's amazing the impact that it can have on people. I'm always really touched by how it happens. But to get to that point, sometimes we have to help them to distinguish between what's happening in them and what they can choose to do. Sometimes we have to help them to see where in their life they have been able to make decisions so that they can learn to trust that process within themselves. The last point we're going to make in this section on listening and the last point for this particular talk is the the idea of discovering truth together. So, so many of us when we're speaking to people with problems or especially if we're in a relationship of it being an employer and an employee or a parent and a child, um, we come in with this idea that we're on a pedestal and we're above the other person for whatever reason. We might be on the pedestal for different reasons. But when we have that um, idea of that, the nature of that relationship like that, we're not as open to discovering truth ourselves, what that person might be teaching me. I come with the answers to, to give to you. That This is one of the hallmarks, though, of this way of being in the church that is so touching because John Paul II would say, I come to you, young people, to learn from you. He, um, In one great quote that he, he repeats in John Paul II, he says, I wait first of all to hear what they want to tell me about themselves, about their society, about their church. And I always point out what I'm going to say to you is not as important as what you're going to say to me. You will not necessarily say it to me in words. You will say it to me with your presence, by your song, perhaps by your dancing, by your skits, and finally by your enthusiasm. So you can see there's this great openness within him, a, a humility to also be formed and to be taught by this other person. I don't come in with all the answers. It's a process that we go through together as we both open up. And as I'm going through this process with you, I believe that there are seeds of the truth in your own lived experiences within you. And the same thing happened when he was with people from other faiths. There are seeds of the truth, semina verbi, that we look out for and that we affirm. And so as we conclude this talk on growing in our capacity to listen to all that the Holy Spirit is saying to us through our conscience and through the words of the other person that we're listening to, we ask the Lord to teach us how to do this more effectively. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Blessed Pope John Paul II, please teach us to be silent and to be reverent before your presence at each moment of our day, especially in our relationships. Help us to listen and to hear all that we need to. We ask you to teach us to restrain ourselves when we want to fix people's problems, when we want to be there, when we have a saviour mentality. 
We pray that instead that we develop the Saviour's humility and that we can, trusting that we can discover truth together, that we can practice compassion, we can really learn to suffer with people, to journey with them. We pray, Blessed Mother, that you, in your contemplative way of being, also help us to learn this way of listening to others. Help us to be courageous when it gets difficult. We pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Living the Legacy with Sister Bernadette Pike. For more, go to cradio.org.au.